Altitude's undefeated. Crap, we will punch it up, whatever it was in. Not a huge fan of it, I don't know where I was going. I looked like I was running and started to talk to someone. I don't know what I was doing. I tell you what, Matt, we don't get much by you, that's for sure. Hello, Colorado Rapids fans. This is Holding the High Line with Rabbi and Red. I am Matt Pollard, and it is Monday, October 9th, 2023. Happy Leif Erikson Day, hinga dinga dergen, to those who remember that episode of SpongeBob from Season 2, way back in the before times. Uh, the Rapids had another game rescheduled due to weather. It was their fourth of the year, and then they proceeded to be outclassed by Houston after that. FIFA has a new World Cup format idea and it might actually be weirder than a winner tournament in a company in in a country that's masquerading as a company that's destroying the world with oil um but none of that really matters in the grand scheme of things given what's going on um in israel mark i, I never know how to ask this question um rabbi mark Goodman, are you okay i guess i mean it's been a bad day um yeah uh, how are you doing is always just fine matt we're friends we we know each other and you know that i will communicate with you as if the microphone was off and we were not being listened to by millions and millions of our loyal listeners um it's not real there's no one st- mark there we're they're just here for the rapids two vibes maybe Ooh, that's that's a nice that's a nice positive I think we message. got like a hundred of those people. But, uh, Mark, you are always good at waxing poetic about greater societal issues. Thanks. There are many things in modern times and in past times that, uh, unfortunately, uh, the Jewish people have had to endure due to biases against them. And this continues to be a tense time for people in Israel and Palestine. I, I'm expressing empathy. I don't really have a solution. Mark, I, I feel like if I, if I had a solution for peace in the Middle East— uh, the current or former president would have given me a job making way more money than I am right now as an engineer and a rapids blogger. I mean, I, I, my undergraduate major was political science with a focus on the Middle East. And I did a lot of work. I lived in Israel. I did a lot of work in Israeli politics. And then I eventually kind of decided like, I don't think this is for me. This is a, this is a fairly intractable problem that I don't think would be enjoyable to spend all of my life working on professionally. So um, I eventually decided that I would serve the Jewish people in a spiritual capacity and not a political one. Um, this morning I taught a Talmud class. Talmud is like uh, Jewish law and philosophy. Um, it's a joint class that I've been teaching for four years between uh, here and our sister congregation in uh, Israel in a place in the north called um, uh, Kerem, uh, um, Kilat Kerem up in the north of Israel. And, you know, they were, they were having a a, a more quiet uh, day than folks who live in the South, um, because they had only to endure um, a red alert because Hezbollah made an incursion over the border. And there was a small number of rockets fired. But that's a really weird thing. When um, I was saying sort of jokingly to someone that like, you know, your relationship to your friends in Israel and your conversations with them requires you to have a working knowledge of which terrorist groups 
are in their locality more likely to fire at them? Are they more likely to be hit by rockets from Hezbollah, or are they more likely to be hit by rockets from Hamas? And that's just a weird fact of life that we all just kind of ignore, that, like, I have other friends, I have a good friend who lives in Beersheba. Um, Beersheba is, like, the third largest city in Israel, or the fourth largest city, depending on how you count, and, um, you know, they were all under siege for the last two days straight with rockets, but they were better off than other Israelis because they didn't literally have terrorists running through their towns. Um, when I was, uh, the day school rabbi at the day school in Denver, one of my teachers, uh, was from a kibbutz just outside of Sterot. Sterot is basically the town closest to Gaza and, you know, everything within 40 kilometers of the border, uh, has been in full lockdown for the last couple of days. And you, I don't really want to get into the specifics because it's like re-traumatizing for me and any listeners who've been glued to the news, but it's been really, really horrible. Um, you know, and then as a rabbi, you know, I'm leading services tonight and I'm just pulling out all the Psalms that deal with the situation. And normally I give a little talk. I talk for like five minutes at evening services. And I, I basically just looked at everyone was like, I don't have anything to say that isn't, you know, that, that, that is going to be relevant to Jewish learning right now and kind of like thinking about our lives and, and thinking about what the Bible would tell us to do. Cause that's kind of what I, I, I kind of give a spin on, you know, um, how, how to, how to, how to behave in the world. And I was just like, you know, right now it's just the time to feel bad and to say words from our tradition and hope that tomorrow is better. And, um, you know, that's, that's how I feel. And then there's just the political realities of like, what's going to transpire over the next 24 to 72 hours. I mean, I'm an interesting voice in the Jewish community in the sense that, and then I'll shut up, um, in that, um, a lot of us, a lot of folks in the Jewish community are kind of closing ranks and lamenting our dead. And there's a definite feeling among some people of like, uh, war, retribution, and vengeance, you know, let, let us avenge our death, our dead. And, um, it makes me really uncomfortable. Um, it, I, I'm something of a universalist in our religion. Uh, I generally feel like I recognize that I was born Jewish and my parents, you know, had a nice Jewish little boy or girl, and I have two cute little Jewish kids. But, you know, if the hand of fate spun a different direction, I would have been born in Gaza my parents would have been Palestinians and my kids would have been Palestinians. And so I, I lament the suffering and the loss of life for any, anybody who is an innocent caught up in this conflict because you don't sign up as a kid to go through all this. You don't, you don't, you know, you, you don't decide where you're born and you don't, um, and, and war involves a lot of suffering on both sides as you and I both know, because we're in regular contact with our friend, John Babiak, who, um, has been doing a lot of relief work in the Ukraine, in Ukraine, sorry. Um, you know, just being face to face with suffering is no fun. And I, I wish it would, would stop for everyone. And we could kind of progress because, um, no matter what happens, no matter how much, no matter what Israel's uh, military response is, the end is going to be a diplomatic solution and war does not resolve the problem. It's still going to take, no matter what happens with the two armies, it's still going to take people to sit down and be reasonable and, and come to a, a solution that involves two different groups of people living side by side with each other.
we're not going to achieve peace on any realistic macro scale mark if we're engaged in action that is killing each other's children yeah, um, yeah. i don't have like i mentioned i don't have any solutions um thank you for sharing that obviously yep. you are better at these sort of things than <laughs> i am um listeners if you're not uh, haven't been paying attention to what john babiak's been doing since um the women's world cup ended he's obviously still doing his humanitarian stuff uh in and around um uh ukraine and uh there's an article up on burgundy wave about him sharing some of uh his exploits and what he's experienced with that and then he still has the gofundme up where he is using that to um buy toys for displaced children and orphans uh of the conflict that is going on between ukraine and russia so i'll put a link to that article in the show notes as well as a link to the gofundme um they have not yet met their goal last i checked maybe like a week ago or so and obviously um the uh and um so that gofundme is still up and you have the if you have the means to contribute you can mark i don't like we at here at Holding the High Line, don't like just bringing up problems. We like trying to come up with solutions or practical solutions or practical perspective. Is there any Israeli conflict organization, nonprofit or something you would recommend that is reputable that people could um, vote with their dollars in terms of healing this part of the world? Well, if you want to give to people, the to the folks who are going to be crisis um, responders, there's um, the Israeli version of the Red Cross is called Magenda Vida Dome. Um, uh, if you are more inclined to think about long-term solutions that involve um, sustainable, ongoing um relationship building between Israelis, Palestinians, and Israelis and Arabs. There's an organization called the New Israel Fund, um, which does a lot of really work, really important work in coexistence and justice. And so those are the two organizations that if I have two, two nickels to rub together, I like to give to. So. Okay. Um, we're going to pivot this Mark back to <laughs> soccer somehow, because that's what we're here for. Uh, Mark, there's a new World Cup format for the 2030 World Cup. We already know that it's going to be a tri-hosted competition between the United States, Mexico, and Canada in 2026, though Mark, our Los Angeles, uh, our native Los Angeles, might be losing out in terms of a venue because uh, KSC is penny-pinching potentially on how uh, SoFi Stadium is going to be hosting it. So Mark, maybe you and I are going to have to leave my house my parents house or your dad's house um four hours before the game instead of two hours before the game in order to get to the rose bowl in you know two and a half years time but uh or three years time excuse me but um we've got a new format for 2030 um Paraguay, uruguay and argentina are all going to host games in their native country and then they're going to be flying uh the other side of the atlantic the other side of the equator where it is going to be a joint bid between morocco spain and portugal they're going to be hosting and mark if you've read the fifa bylaws and you're familiar with how things go um the uh the way that fifa sets it up they don't let um they don't let the same federation the same continent host competitions simultaneously so in and give, doing this weird tri-bid that somehow honors the 100-year or the centennial anniversary of the first World Cup and having it in South America. You get Comnable out. You do a joint bid between three countries that are close to each other, albeit through the Strait of Gibraltar, technically Europe, and uh, so UEFA and AFCON are out as well. And then obviously, Mark, I don't think there is a country 
any joint bid combination that does not involve Canada, the U.S., and Mexico. They could host in North America. That leaves you with uh, Oceania and Asia, so basically Australia, maybe India, maybe China. And then what we found out just conveniently hours after this was announced that Saudi Arabia was putting their bid for 2034. And then FIFA put on a very arbitrary and urgent 25-day window for other federations to put their bid together. Um, Mark, I, I don't mind the history and the significance and the pageantry that we're going to get of the World Cup returning to where it all mm-hmm. started in terms of the world's competition, but doing this in a weird way that satiates South America, gives a bit as well, is really just FIFA saying, we want to have our cake and then eat it too, and eat it with gold-encrusted Saudi blood money mm-hmm. Um uh, utensils and everything. Um, I, I don't see a scenario here where um, Saudi Arabia does not host the World Cup in 2034 and FIFA is once again deciding that they're going to do what they want to do and they love money and they only like football and they like football to the extent it gets the money regardless of the collateral damage that comes with it. Yeah, I think, I mean, you, 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 said, you said the quiet part loud and loud and loud and very clearly, but I'll say it slightly differently just in case our listeners missed it, which was the way they structured, I'll say it simply, I think, the way they structured the 2030 World Cup seems like it was very intentionally constructed so that Saudi Arabia could get the 2020, 2034 World Cup. And the reason they did that was they eliminated it by having it in multiple countries, in multiple continents. They made it impossible for anybody to bid on the 2034 World Cup except for Saudi Arabia, unless Kazakhstan is putting in a surprising bid, you know, like... Um, and even if they do, I don't think they would beat Saudi Arabia because, but it's a, it's, that's the cynical view. I think, and I think that's the right view. I think that's probably exactly what they were thinking. I do like the format of the 2030, uh, world cup. And my, my naive idea before I heard what was going on with Saudi Arabia was, oh, maybe FIFA is finally getting the idea that I think we're eventually going to come to by the time I'm a senior citizen, Matt, which is both the Olympics and the World Cup, there's no reason to host all of it in one country or in one city because there's so many sporting events and there's so much going on, we should spread it around the world. Um, you know, with the with the Winter Olympics at some point, it's going to be virtually impossible for some town that has skiing nearby to it to also host all of the ice skating, all of the losing all of the bobsledding because there's just you know we're we're it, with climate change there's just fewer places that are cold enough and there's already very few towns that are big enough but that i digress slightly but like there's no reason that an amazing event like the world cup needs to be concentrated in one country and the fact that it, it has a bid process and it's in one country makes it exposed to a tremendous amount of graft i mean the greatest idea in the world it was a great idea a couple of years ago. I think the New York Times wrote us, wrote about this was um, build like six mega city, you know, venues that can host the World Cup and then rotate between those six. And then that's it. But a simpler way to do it is take the best stadia in the world, you know, the 12 or 15 best stadia in the world and have all the games at those 12 stadia every year because if you put a couple you know if you have the group stage um play both of their games on that field 
and all those teams have to play in that location. Let's say you know the you you qualify for the group, and the, your group happens to be playing out of Toronto. You play all those games for two weeks, and then when that group stage ends, your whole team packs onto a plane and goes to play the quarterfinal or the 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 round of the next round game in another city. Um, the the globe has pretty much shrunken. We'd like to avoid maybe, you know, 15 hour flights because that's too much. But like, you know, most American soccer players get on a plane and it's a three to five hour, you know, trip across the country and they do just fine. You know, when I did an article, I started work on an article that I'll do as evergreen content over the summer about travel, about like, you know, how, how rigorous is the travel and, how difficult is it for you? And what do the trainers do to kind of minimize the impacts? And all the guys I interviewed was like, yeah, it's fine. It's no big deal. You just drink a little bit more water and we stretch on the plane and we're good to go. You know, it was like, it's not that big a deal. So um, I say that the future of the World Cup should be everywhere and there should be no bids. But you said it perfectly, Matt. Um, the 2030 FIFA World Cup was set up so that Saudi Arabia could have 2034 in a walk. Yeah, Mark, say what you will about the way that FIFA's handled, and not this most recent isn't for the 2030 World Cup bid, but in terms of their approach and their openness and what they looked for and were open to hearing out in terms of the 2022 and the 2026 World Cup bid, and just the openness to go into a place geographically that they haven't been to before. Again, I'm, I'm, I'm aware there were so many other things that were wrong with Qatar. Like Qatar was a bad World Cup in, in a lot of ways, and it's opened up a can of worms that now FIFA is going to do everything that they can to monetize at the expense of the integrity and morality of the game. That's not lost on me, listeners. But the, the fact, Mark, that they were willing to go to a small country in an unorthodox or unusual and new part of the world, and the fact that they were open to hearing uh, bids in 2026 for multinational bids, I think was a fantastic opportunity because just based on the scale of what the World Cup has now become, there's only so many countries that could host it right now. You know, Mark, I think it was in like the 1950s or something that one of the, can't remember if it was Sweden or Norway, one of the Nordic countries hosted the World Cup. But you would say right now, even with all the stadia and the infrastructure they have in place and the influx that you would get with the expanded World Cup, that no one of the individual Scandinavian countries could host the World Cup. But I think there could be a very compelling bid with the right infrastructure and maybe that mass tunnel expansion that Denmark's doing to Sweden at the, you know, where Copenhagen is and everything for a joint Nordic bid. And, you know, then maybe Ice, maybe they opened up with Iceland and then one other game in Iceland and then they fly back to, you know, mainland Europe. You could do you know, a joint Balkans bid, a joint, um, I don't know how this would work geopolitically, but I think it would be great if like the countries of the former Yugoslavia could come together and put a joint bid and the openness to not having it be just within one country and one part of the world created that opportunity. And FIFA's now just co-opted it for them to get what they want because they've realized the monetary options that are now increasingly available when it comes to football in the Middle East. I went to grad school, Mark, with so many um, grad students who were international students who soccer was their main sport growing up. It's what they played. It's what they were interested in. And then, you know, uh, my, one of my first questions as the soccer American that they knew they could talk to about it was the, oh, I don't remember off the top of your head. Um, have, has your country ever been to the World Cup? A good majority of them said no. And then I said, you know, do you think that that's plausible that that would happen in your lifetime? I remember distinctly um, one of my lab mates was from Rwanda and he said, if we host it, 
And then now, Mark, regardless of geopolitically or where Rwanda is from an economic standpoint, if they were to get the stadium and the infrastructure that is in place, I could see Kenya, Tanzania, Uganda, Rwanda, Burundi. I'm not familiar with the geopolitical situations there, Mark. I don't know if there's a war going on because it's involving brown people instead of white people. So it's not reported on that much here in the uh, in the global north and everything. That is now a viable option. There is a possibility with the can of worms that FIFA has opened with these last three bid selections to where Rwanda could be a host nation for the World Cup that 10 years ago you would say is completely impossible. And I thought that was that had the opportunity to be an incredibly um, democratic and open-minded and worldly approach to selecting who hosts and where the World Cup can happen. And FIFA's ruined it as the way FIFA does. Um, Mark, speaking of that, do we want to talk about other things that were ruined? Uh, you're assuming, I assume we're talking about a certain soccer match that was held in Texas. Uh, yes. Let's do it. Uh, well, one, one that was supposed to be held in Texas and one that was. Uh, listeners, we'll get back to our uh, re-preview of the FC Dallas match, which uh, was supposed to be played this past Wednesday that will now be this coming Saturday, October 14th. But first, uh, this past Saturday uh, in Houston, Texas, Mark, the Colorado Rapids went out, and on a full week's rest, uh, Texas week, uh, they lost 5-1 to Houston Dynamo. Uh, you can watch the highlights, uh, viewer discretion advised. I would not recommend it, listeners. I'm not going <laughs> to go over the game in the whole. Um, it looked like what the Rapids were in the, that three-game losing streak on the road that ended in Robin Frazier getting fired, and many of the issues that we've seen throughout the season and even recently under Chris Little uh, continued. Uh, Quinones got a brace mark. Bossy scored. Corey Baird scored. Uh, Archer scored in garbage time. Uh, you did have a Cole Bassett um, goal off of a long throw from Keegan Rosenberry that, you know, there was some uh, beach football that was played in the box mark and then eventually Connor Ronan finding uh, Bassett for a really nice back heel. So final score ended up being 5-1. Uh, mark, where do you want to start and why are you starting with bad thing? <laughs> um, I mean, I feel like we always start with or do bad thing the last couple months because why bother with the good things when we usually lose um man we just got hammered at the beginning right i mean that was that was the most important thing that we looked out at we were having the conversation about we had a conversation matt and i about whether we is the appropriate uh, form to use when talking about the colorado rapids it's who, not who it's neither not. who who neither of us play for but i still use it anyways and i don't think it's fine um matt matt's mad at me now um uh, the Rapids played really badly, and they played badly off the top of the game. And um, it's interesting to wonder... They, they had two things going on that are not new for them. One was they didn't possess the ball very well at the beginning, and they had a really hard time just making passes that, that, that didn't get intercepted um, for the first, geez, I think 17 or, or 25 minutes of the game. And then the second thing was they didn't close down space very well against their opponent. They 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 couldn't. They decided not to. The individual defenders decided not to step to their man, which allowed them to make those really beautiful um, passes that led to the first two goals. Um, and then the last thing is this, you know, because I think they were trying to play out a little bit and um, be in a position where they could uh, be a little bit more attacking. If they needed to, they didn't bring back for defense as quite as many players. They weren't bunkered, right? They to, for the beginning, so they they seem to have uh, fewer guys kind of ready to defend than they probably needed to, which meant that on both 
their first and their second goals. They had a tremendous amount of space at the back post. I mean, there were basically there was no defender at the back post um, on both of the first two goals. So, uh, and then after that, you know, there was a third goal and a fourth goal that um, they were both really difficult goals and really pretty goals, and they were kind of low percentage shots, but um, but Houston scored them both. Um, Houston also. You know, they missed an early, early shot that uh, Illich defended. They had one that toinked off the crossbar at about, like, the 40th minute. I mean, this could have been worse is, a, is the craziest thing. Is This this could have been a 6-0 defeat or a 7-0 defeat. Um, and no one who um, who is sane or healthy probably watched the second half of this game because the Rapids were so, so, so far down at that point. It didn't matter. Um uh, I'll give you my good thing, which is everyone's good thing, which is Cole Bassett had a nice little backheel goal. That was kind of fun at like the 80th minute. But uh, but this was a total train wreck, uh, absolute disaster. Uh, I'm not entirely. I think the worst thing about it, from a from a perspective of Rapids watchers and and Chris Little watchers, is I don't know how they got so bent out of shape that they turned in this performance, and I don't know. Um, why they look they looked so so bad? But if they could look this bad now, like you know, it it just it bodes ill even for digging out of this hole to get into next year. Matt, your thoughts? Yeah, no, I agree with you, Mark. Uh, Cole Bassett, unfortunately, Rabbi, as the goal scorer in a bad loss, and someone who handles media well, was saddled with uh you know showing up to the post game Zoom conference, and he had another couple just really good. Uh, zingers in terms of summing it up. Uh, Cole Bassett is developing his own gift of gab marker, you know, uh, talking about things in his own inimitable way and finding his voice in that regard. And so just a couple of, um, you know, saying that, you know, quote, we got popped tonight. Uh, me and Connor Ronan uh, were chasing shadows everywhere in the first 10 minutes. I don't think we touched any, uh, we touched any of them. Uh, and so, you know, we've heard that from Cole before, Mark, where he's talked about, pissing the ball away and not being in a good defensive shape, either from a structural standpoint, when you have an opportunity to have some impact on the game, you know, he's mentioned that like, we need to have some physicality. I understand that's not really Cole's game uh, necessarily, Mark, but just, this is another, this is another game that just highlights something that I've been thinking and saying for, you know, the better part of a year and a half, uh, as good as I think, Mark, you and I both rate Connor Ronan, there is still a Kellen Acosta sized hole in this midfield. And this game needed some bite, you know, it needed somebody to, when, you know, the, the team's getting torn apart by the movement and the off the ball and the passing from the Houston Dynamo, just, you know, go in and, you know, give a shove into Hector Herrera, make him feel you. And if you have to take a yellow card in the first 20 minutes, just to slow things down, help the team get their breath, and then also be like, no, we're setting the tone here, even though we can't keep the ball or anything, you know, that's something that I think could have had a net positive in terms of the game. But it just did, it highlights for me, Mark, that, I think Chris Little has reestablished the floor in terms of what this team is, but I think still now we're what, I can't remember if it's six or seven, how many games that uh, Little's been the interim manager of. It might be eight now. In any case, Mark, the the Rapids have established to being like a lower mid team. They've gotten, for the most part, results against bad teams or teams that are playing poorly. They've 
struggled with at times and not gotten results against good teams or teams that are playing well. And when they're put into a bad situation against a good team that is a good home team that is playing well, just won an Open Cup, and puts in an absolutely spectacular first-half performance, they look as bad as they did earlier on in the season when they weren't scoring goals and you know were one win in 15 games or whatever that stat was as well. And this was an example of that. When you have an opponent that has a very clear style of play that takes advantage of the Rapids' weaknesses, they return to being chum. Houston Dynamo are very good on the ball. Hector Herrera, great. Bossy, great. Uh, uh, who's the other one um, who I'm thinking of? Um, uh, the midfielder, Mark, who I hyped up a bunch. Oh, Coco Kataskia. Uh Coco Kataskia, and they're sharp on the ball, and they do a really good job of moving off the ball, then the midfield can't get any, can't wrestle back any control of the game. And it puts the team in bad transition moments where they're forced to defend with even uh, at, at a numerical equivalency, even numbers between the two. And this team, especially the back line, is not set up to 1v1 defend well enough and actually prevent goals. And so I, I think that summed up what ended up happening. Uh, my good thing, same thing as you, Mark Colbassett. Uh, if nothing else, he's having a mini renaissance. And if there's nothing else that I'm confident about this team going into next season, it's that I think there's a very real possibility that we get 2021 Colbassett instead of the first half of 2023 Colbassett. And Mark, if Cole does what he's doing right now, if he does that for the whole of the 34 game season, I have to think that he knows somewhere in there, the scouts in Europe who've turned off from him in the last 18 months will come back and potentially those opportunities will come up. Maybe not Feyenoord, maybe not team that's capable of winning its domestic league in a big five, big six league in Europe and then is playing in the group stage of Champions League or anything, but at least an opportunity that's then a foothold in the door on the European continent and then with that potentially being in the conversation for um, a lesser national team camp and other things like that. So that's the one optimistic thing I have about that. Mark, what do we make of Rafael Navajo, who I don't think did a whole lot in this game? And I, I still think he does a good job in terms of his defensive work rate to try and protect what's in front of him when that's relevant, given how much the opponent usually plays with the ball further at field than he is supposed to be. But he continues to be devoid of opportunities, but he's also not doing a whole lot. Sidney Tavares was, again, was listed, Mark, from the availability report, unavailable for both games that were played, that were supposed to be played this past week. Mark, I, I do not know what illness he has to where he is out for four weeks and what that looks like. I'm not going to pretend to know. All I'm going to say is that we know that it's not COVID. Otherwise, uh, he would be listed as uh, health and safety protocol. But I, I increasingly, Mark, am concerned that the two big foreign signings you had that were loans with an option to buy, and even if the season was already gone by the time they got here, this you know, lame duck period, the final 10 games of the season was an opportunity for them to get familiar, get comfortable, get acclimated, and then get some form to then have something to build on for 2024, that that opportunity is wasted because Tavares is not playing and Navajo is not goal dangerous. And now, Mark, this is not just what the team is doing around him. His poor play is now contributing to that. Um, Rabbi, your thoughts? Uh, I mean, it's a good question about like what's going on with Navajo of whether he's kind of like 
not quite living up to the high price expectations that we've put on him, or if this team is just not able to get him the ball effectively. This is a conversation that Rapids fans will remember having around Kevin Doyle, that like they put Kevin Doyle on an island under Pablo Ball and put you know ten guys behind him and lofted the ball up to him, and then people were like Kevin Doyle. Half of Rapids fans were like Kevin Doyle's no good, and the other half of Rapids fans were like he might be good, but we don't get him the ball in dangerous spots, and we don't get him enough service, and we're asking him to play back to the goal, and he's not built for that. And it was a little bit of both. You know, Kevin Doyle was probably not the solution that the Rapids needed because. They went out and spent DP money on like a, I think he, at the time he was a 29 year old, often injured uh, player from effectively a mid tier championship team. And it was like, that's not the level of player that we need to get in order to compete at this level. And I think you could make the, almost the identical comments about Navajo at this point, which is we're not getting him enough service. The main problems the Rapids have are not with Navajo. They're in the midfield possessing the ball effectively and, and progressing the ball effectively. Um, but they, he, he's not really, you know, kind of put it together. So I think it'll take some time to start to build a team with him. Um, but he might be a useful striker, but not the guy that is going to, you know, win you a cup. Um, they, they may just need, they may need to go, you know, a level above, him a level above Rubio and have those guys be kind of supporting cast level players in order to make things happen. The other way to look at it though, and Houston's actually a good um, model for this is to note that they brought in Hector Herrera and he didn't really change the script for Houston. His first year, they were still terrible. It took him a half a season of playing with a very bad Houston team last year before they started to click this year with a lot of the pieces they have on the field and then adding a couple more guys. Um, I think the most exciting thing about watching Houston is there was a moment when Griffin Dorsey was dribbling down the wing and um, made the pass before the pass that turned into a goal. And all I could think of while I'm watching Griffin Dorsey play was, I remember watching him with the Rapids U23s. And... I'm not. I'm not saying that because I think Griffin Dorothy, Gord, Dorothy, Dorsey is an amazing player, and we could have had him with the Rapids, although we could. But more that um, he's a very solid MLS role player, and any team can start a couple of solid MLS role players, a couple of TAM level players, and a couple of really high quality DPS, and win MLS Cup. And the Rapids are probably only a few players away. <clears throat> If we look at it that way, the question is, who are the three or four players that they're going to add in the offseason that can take this team into the playoffs? Or will they? Navajo, to me, is one of those role players. He's not the guy, that one of the, he's not the Ache Ache that um, Houston had and waited to develop until they had the pieces around him to get going in 2023. But that's me. It could be that he turns on the afterburners next year. That doesn't give me a whole lot of optimism, Mark, because you say that Navajo is potentially a role player. Like the he's a a, a working piece, but not one of the main pieces. You can't. I mean, I'd love for him to score fifteen goals next year. I just don't see it. I see him as yeah, scoring six or seven, and somebody else has got to be the guy. And that is, and but we're we're in agreement. 
but I think it being an agreement, Mark, I think we're agreeing. That is then saying that that is a player who is not worth $4.5 million and it'd be DP slot. And a concern that I have about the um, coaching uh, hiring process, which now multiple outlets, including but not limited to uh, me, listeners have reported that we're through the first round of interviews and there's supposedly five candidates. Chris Little is one of those and there's some international and other domestic candidates as well. Working on names, this stuff is hard listeners and as much as um, certain members of the club want to say that it's a collaborative process, uh, there's a lot of people keeping uh, keeping things tight-lipped to make sure that stuff doesn't get out. But so in any case, Mark, like fundamentally, this next head coach, if the goal is to be competitive or at least much more competitive next year, is that coach has to be able to look at the current roster and get something out of it that's so far Robin in a permanent role and then Chris Little in a sudden interim role have been unable to achieve. This has to be somebody who gets as, you know, what we saw from Andreas Machu against Austin that has to become a regular thing. You have to get more out of what you've seen um, from a... Connor Ronan, a, eh, I wouldn't say Moise Bambito because he's young and there's upside, but certainly a, a Kevin Cabral and a Rafael Navajo. The two DPs that you're stuck to are the ones that there's more negativity around, and the one that you're most stuck to is Kevin Cabral um, because just a, there's no trade value. So short of buying him out completely, then like there's no ending that contract. So somebody has to get some value out of that or decide that there's more value to be had out of the guys that I bring in which is going to be less money given the resources that Cabral is taking up and given the DP slot that he's taking up, it's more valuable than what I can get out of this, um, you know, this lame duck, this sunk cost, uh, you know, broken asset, what have you. The, the one DP you can move off from, Mark, is the one that is the least tainted by this season in Navajo. That being said, performances like what he did or didn't do against Houston isn't necessarily helping his cause. To say nothing of the increasingly unknown disappointment and absentee U22 player who is Sidney Tavares, but um, at least Cole Bassett's doing that role right now. Um, last couple things that I'll say uh, about this, Mark. Um, I don't think that this result is helping Chris Little to the extent that he's a, a serious candidate as one of the second round um, interviewees for the permanent head coaching job. And while I do think he's done a lot of really good stuff that we've talked about on this podcast and the Chris Little effect has definitely been a thing at home. I don't know. I think he's shown enough in some of these difficult games to where he hasn't come up with those creative solutions that Robin was so good at in his first couple of years with the club that the next head coach will need to have in order for this team to be able to outperform their financial and talent gap with the rest of the league. This, I, I, I'm not saying he shouldn't be a candidate, Mark, but if he's the favorite right now, I'm seriously concerned about the rest of the hiring and uh, coach search process. And then... The other thing that I'll say, Mark, is the, the maybe the one, if there was any joy to be had on Saturday, Mark, it would have been right around halftime or the beginning of the second half in which it was confirmed by a loss for Toronto FC that TFC have officially clinched the wooden spoon. So the Rapids didn't, uh, were supposed to have two games last week. One of them didn't happen. One of them was a 5-1 loss. And then a loss for Toronto FC confirmed that now uh, TFC have just one game remaining and are four points behind the Rapids. So the Colorado Rapids will not win the wooden spoon. Mark, if nothing else, we can have relief and there was some success in the four-point week two weeks ago now that the Rapids had such that uh, you know, we're not such that C38 is not being handed the wooden spoon at the end of this year. Yes. Yeah, that is a nice thing. Uh, I, I kind of thought to be blunt that like 
walking away with a wooden spoon this season would be something of an accomplishment. At least we could say as a, as a team, this was the worst season ever and we were the worst team in the league. We don't even get that anymore. We get to be the second best. But nobody really wants the wooden spoon, so I'm only being semi-facetious. But um, it still feels like a terrible season. It's, it's kind of remarkable there's a team worse than us. Um, you know, and Toronto is that team. Okay, Mark, we got some rapid fire news and ask HTHLs to get to, but first, Rabbi, tell our listeners how they can best support holding the high line and independent coverage of the Colorado Rapids. Folks, there are still two, count them, two mugs left to buy if you would like one. We are supported by you, our loyal listeners to this year's podcast. We love doing this. We love following the Rapids, driving out to training, flying to road games, and interviewing players. We love spending our day off of our day jobs, writing soccer articles for holding the Highline Substack. But we also like to pay our rent and occasionally hoist a pint provided by our listeners. And uh, and uh, as a thank you uh, for our efforts. So if you can, help us by subscribing to our Substack. You can become a paid subscriber, a.k.a. a Highliner. By putting in just $5 a month or $42 a year, a weekly subscription gets you free merch from us this year. We gave out pint glasses. There are still two left to go by the end of, before the end of the season. Um, we also throw a few articles or other information and interviews behind the paywall um, just for our loyal listeners. More importantly, you'll be supporting citizen soccer journalism, and we appreciate it. Back to you, Matt. Uh, Mark, we've got some news and notes that we'll just rapid fire go through. First of all, Mark, uh, we got confirmation this past week uh, that Daniel Chacon, uh, the currently Rapids 2 center back in Costa Rican International, who has already signed a contract with the first team for 2024. He is currently on loan at Alajuelense in his native Costa Rica. Mark, he had a kind of cryptic post on his Instagram about the injury and coming back from recovery. And then there were reports and then officially from Alajuelense that he tore his ACL. And then the Rapids confirmed that he had um, successful surgery to repair that ACL tear. And the expected timeline is uh, nine months. Mark, that would put it back at a June, July-ish of 2024 return in terms of him being in with the first team. Mark, as our resident knee expert, he, <laughs> he who has had many a knee injuries as well, um, seems like there's a lot of ACL injuries going on around the sport. This is not unique to the Rapids, or at the very least, this was something that happened in Costa Rica. Mark, this was not a something due to the location of the preseason or the infrastructure at DSGP right now, but it's another ACL injury, Mark, um, and it's one that's affecting, for me, um, the up-and-coming center back depth for the Rapids. Mark, what do we make of this? Does this even matter, given there's so many Rapids fans who haven't seen Chacon play because he's been injured with the twos, and we're kind of just going off the belief that the organization has internally that he can be a first team player uh right so uh it's a bummer i don't necessarily put any stock in the idea that a rash of acl injuries is is all connected like there's some sort of mysterious hole in the pitch uh that everybody's falling into and tearing the acl um you know bad juju floats around and some years you get a lot of it and some years you miss it entirely so that's that's my take but um, I'm, I'm sure that there is somebody on the technical staff walking, walking the training fields and wondering to themselves, maybe something's wrong here. Um, so I don't know. Uh, I, I, I think, um, it's really a bummer for those of us who were excited about the possibility of Chacon turning into something. Um, it is really uncommon, I would say, for players to come back from extru from full ACL tears 
and to be the same player that they were. Um, they usually lose a little bit of speed or lose a little bit of agility. The little bit of agility, I, I can never tell whether it's actual agility or whether they just don't, you know, turn and cut and move at the same fervor and speed that they used to because they're a little nervous about it. Um, you know, Drew Moore is probably the best example of this. He was still an excellent center back after he came back from an ACL tear. Um, but I would say that his flat out speed was a tick or two down. And I don't think he was quite as aggressively mobile as he used to be. So, um, but defender, central defenders are a little different than other positions. Um, Chacon is in a position that, um, you know, flat out speed and agility matters a lot. Um, and so, or at least he was forecast to be there. So it, it makes me a little worried. Um, you know, another version of this is Dylan Serna. You know, I, I think pre-knee injury Dylan Serna and post-knee injury D- Dylan Serna were, were significantly different also. Um, but for those names that I mentioned, there are a couple of players throughout the league who um, had really bad knee injuries and came back and seemed uh, almost as good. Uh, Clint Dempsey's a great example of that. You know, he had a serious injury and he came back from it. Um, and he was more or less the same deuce that he was uh, when he came back, he, he probably declined only because of age as opposed to because of injury. But so that's that's the, the kind of positive thing on the women's side of the game. The women's team has a, a bunch of players with ACL injuries who came back and are you know just as great um, and had very little fall off from from pre to post injury. So, you know, fingers crossed. Hopefully Chuck is young enough and um, his recovery goes really well and he he returns in a year and is uh still uh you know a, a reasonable useful player for this team and and maybe a a really highly touted prospect nonetheless uh we've got a couple of call-ups for the uh for the burgundy boys mark we'll start with moist bambito who's called up for the canadian men's national team i think it'll be interesting to see rabbi what position bambito plays. they are canada has friendlies during this window there's just one of them mark it is the 13th i believe that's i don't have the calendar in front of me i think that's thursday i might be wrong on that it's a friday um Friday, thank you. Uh, Friday the 13th, uh, dun dun dun. Uh, the Canadian national team are flying to Niaga, Japan, N I I G A T A. I might be pronouncing Niagata, maybe. Um, and so they are playing uh, Japan, Samurai Blue, in that game, Rabbi. So it's just the one game for that. Obviously, there's a lot going on with the Canadian program right now, Mark, in terms of the uh, funding that's available due to their uh, financial levers and mechanisms uh, coming out of the World Cup. Obviously, there's issues in terms of the pay on both the men's and the women's side, but good on Bombito. I'm curious to see, Mark, now that uh, Canada's in an interim situation now that John Herdman is taking over at Toronto FC. What position uh they see bombito in obviously there was kind of a chuckle in terms of what his role ended up being as a space covering number six sometimes floating into the center back hole with canada at the gold cup but it's exciting for a young player and given just you know two and a half month years ago mark uh this guy was playing you know community college at a you know in the middle of nowhere iowa i shouldn't say the middle of nowhere but uh it's not the middle of (laughs) iowa but iowa right on the border with nebraska which is effectively still the middle of nowhere and now we're talking about a guy who for me mark should be a starter in mls in 2024 and european teams not the big boys necessarily should 
have him on their radar, and he's getting called up with the national team. So we'll see what he does. I won't be watching this game live, Mark, but hopefully there's some highlights, and hopefully Bambito gets some minutes. And then uh, Diego Rubio, Mark, will be called up. I initially got this wrong, Mark, the... um, uh, Chilean national team will be playing on the 12th and the 17th of October. They're playing Peru and Venezuela. I initially had it that those were friendlies. Those are actually World Cup qualifiers, Mark. And it's the first time in a while, Rabbi, that we can say that Diego Rubio has been called in for a non-friendly window for the Rojo y Blancos um, in that most of the call-ups that he's gotten in the past as a member of the Rapids uh, has been when it's just been friendlies to be played at. He was on a Copa America roster. I think this was 2016. I might have that wrong mark, but then he uh, was uh, not available due to an injury with that. So competitive game that Diego Rubio's on. Uh, and both of these players, Mark, as we uh, transition into our Dallas preview, are going to be unavailable. We initially suspected that Bombito was going to be unavailable for the Dallas game as he was uh, subject to yellow card accumulation coming out of Austin. But then obviously the Houston game didn't happen or the Dallas game didn't happen. He served his yellow card accumulation during the Houston game being unavailable, Rabbi. The Rapids defense suffered as a result of that. But then now with the Dallas game being rescheduled during the international window rather than the Wednesday before decision day, there was no good window. I get why they did it. Um, I don't fault MLS for that. It was a difficult situation. But as a result, Mark, a really important attacker gone for the Rapids and then obviously an important and for me a better center back at this point. I don't know how, Mark, the uh, the front office or the new head coach can look at it and see that both Lal Sabubakar and Danny Wilson are still on this team unless they're sitting on the bench for most of next year. Um, those just my thoughts. Um, it should be pointed out uh, for the sake of completeness that Dallas will be missing. Uh, Bernard Camungo has been called up as well. Um, uh, but, you know, Jesus Ferreira didn't called up with the net with the men's national team, nor did Paul Ariola. Those kind of would have been the two big names you were looking at for Dallas to lose. But last thing that we have here, Mark, before we move on to re-previewing Dallas, um, I've gotten a few questions about, Mark, the um, the email that I sent in follow-up to the second Porrick Smith uh, press conference where uh, I asked Porrick again about the situation with players potentially filing a grievance with the MLSPA about the infrastructure, and then he said that he wasn't going to get into it. He was under the impression that the club had already addressed that. They did address it, listeners, however, not in actually uh, the there was a statement that was received to myself and Brendan Plone from the Never Post, but the uh, actual question itself was not directly answered. I sent a follow-up question on that on September 10th. List mark by the time listeners are hearing this, it has been a calendar month as well. I should say that from that initial email that I sent Mark, that the club official who I sent it to confirmed receipt and said that they ferried it up the chain for a response as well. Um, as I wrote back in June, Mark, when this news broke in late May, um, this is a very serious and embarrassing allegation to have. This is the equivalent of asbestos in the office, sealing, <laughs> uh, you know, uh, pad- uh, panels, Mark. And if the answer, if this was completely fabricated and this was completely wrong and Inside Rapid was just drunk tweeting random stuff that came into their brain that wasn't actually true and there was no truth to this, it would be in their best interest to deny it and deny it on the record and to do so quickly. And I've now asked, I don't know, do you, if you want to count me, re- if you want to count me, I would not count Mark asking it a fourth time in that Porik asked me to uh, restate the question so that he further understood it. But Mark, this is now June, July, August, 
September into October. We're now going four months on that this has gone on, and I've now asked three separate times, twice in writing, once in person for an answer and have not gotten a direct answer. Um, Our listeners are intelligent enough to figure out what is potentially going on here. Anything you want to say about that, Mark, or shall we actually, shall we be forced to preview a game we already previewed? I just have a positive note, which is... uh... The other day, uh, the Rapids uh, posted that or noted that uh, Keegan Rosenberry uh, surpassed or tied uh, Marvell Wynn for the number for the fifth most regular season starts in club history. I think that's really cool that not only does uh, Keegan Rosenberry get to 138 starts for the Colorado Rapids, he's a great player. He's done a great things for this team. He's a rock. He, um, he he's he's he played. Um, every minute of the season a couple seasons ago, which was fantastic. He might have done that twice for the Rapids. Um, but for him to, um, I mean, it's a it's a lost season. It's a miserable season. But for him to um, draw even with uh, a player for fifth most on the chart and for it to be Marvelous Marvell win, um, a, f- a fellow fullback in the, the fullback brotherhood um, is really, really great. Marvell was always... I think most Rapids fans will remember Marvell as a really, really wonderful player. Um, you know, I was beginning my Rapids supportership hood. Is that a word? I'm just making up words now. Um, when when Marvell was starting to wrap things up with his career with the Rapids, um, and you know, Marvell was a really he was uh, notable for uh, two or three things. One. He had a winning smile and a winning personality. He was easygoing and good to talk to. Both, I think, both Matt and I have interviewed Marvell, um, and he was really fun to talk to. Um, and then the other thing is that it will always endure for anyone who's ever played the FIFA video game, which is now called, um, I think, FC, right? Uh, EA Sports FC or EA Sports EA FC. FC. Is Marvell was always for, had like two or three seasons as the fastest player in MLS. He had like ninety speed. Um, which was a rad thing, you know. Everybody, I remember, you know, in in foot mode, people always wanted to go out and get Marvell because he was such a speed merchant. So good times. Uh, but anyways, Keegan Rosenberry, one hundred thirty eight starts. Congratulations to the man. Um, I hope there's many, many more for him and uh, and moves forward as one of the all time leading outfield players in in games played. Uh, Mark, we'll move on. So uh, this coming Saturday, September. Uh, October 14th, uh, the Colorado Rapids will be restarting, replaying their game at FC Dallas that was supposed to take place this past Wednesday. Since that happened, uh, Hoops got a 1-1 draw at home against San Jose. San Jose scored a lucky goal in the opening minutes of the game, and then Dallas was kind of chasing. The advanced analytics looked different, looked better, Mark. This is a team for me that is mid. This is a team that um is okay at home not particularly great on the road they don't create elite chances unless there's a lot of urgency that being said rabbi i think there will be a lot of urgency in this game fcd currently sit ninth in the western conference uh they are the only team in the west other than salt lake colorado and la galaxy one eliminated team one team that uh dallas probably will not be catching that have two games left so all the teams chasing mark have one game remaining just decision day dallas obviously has these two games so they have to be looking going into this mark it's really simple if dallas win on saturday then they officially clinch a playoff spot regardless of what shenanigans go on 
and what happens to them in their final game on decision day. So I think in that, they'll be looking at this as being like, this is our playoff game to get into the play in game. So I, I don't know what to make of this game really, Mark. And it's similar to how I felt about it when we previewed this game, you know, a week ago. Um, it just in terms of, I, I could see a Rapids win if we see an improved performance. I don't take much stock in the 5-1 loss to Houston and that I don't think Dallas is capable of doing that to the Rapids. That being said, I didn't see enough of a fight or incremental improvement in the performance regardless of the scoreline or regardless of the fact that you know you were waiting for that second half bump for the Rapids to improve in the second half, even though they were down 4-0 at halftime. I didn't really see that. So could we see an improved so I, I don't know that we'll see an improved version of the Rapids, but we still see a Rapids team that when the opponent lets them hang around and doesn't take advantage of their weaknesses, they are capable of getting a result. No Diego Rubio hurts the attack mark. No Moise Bambito, I think, hurts them defensively. I am done with Lalas Abubakar at the conservative right-back position, mm-hmm. mark, regardless of Lalas's strengths and weaknesses. That Putting him in that position is setting him up to fail. At this point, I realize maybe, Mark, if uh, if Rapids 2 isn't hosting a playoff game within 24 hours of that game on Saturday, we're probably looking at Sebastian Anderson getting another start under Chris Little. But I'm concerned about the defense, particularly with some of the speed up front for Dallas, given that Moise Pompito will not be available. And other than Cole Bassett, I'm not convinced that this team is going to be goal dangerous, especially without Diego Rubio in this one. I'll go a one-one draw for the sake of being optimistic, and because I've, you know, I've been, I've been, <laughs> I, I've been dissing Dallas for two or three pods now, Mark. Uh, but I, I, it doesn't matter um, at this point. Um, it'd be nice to see a guy who hasn't gotten a whole lot of minutes get some minutes. Um, I think Ralph Preso has been better off the bench, for example. Um, I don't know that we're gonna. I don't know how much. I don't know if Stephen Betasher, um has a career after October 21st with the Rapids as well, Mark. So let's see a little bit of squad rotation. Let's see some guys get some minutes on their legs who haven't, who might. Uh, be in the plans for next year and give them a little audition for uh, the incoming head coach. And if that results in a wonky performance and ultimately a disappointing result, regardless of that performance, Matt, who cares? The team didn't win the spoon anyways. Dallas is going to be a tough game. And I think it was, uh, I was more optimistic about this game before it got rained and lightninged out. Um, Now things you know, coming off of the Dallas game, off the Houston game, look a little bit more dire. The call-ups changed the equation a little bit. Um, you know, not not calling up Jesus Ferreira is going to hurt us because he's a talented player and, it, and an offensive weapon. Um, Diego Rubio not being... I mean, this team has looked... I, I haven't done the math. I probably We probably should before the season ends to start, start to think about what next season looks like, but... You know, this team looks really, really rudderless without Diego Rubio. They just, they lack the one guy that can dribble in on, in the final third or even in the fight in the, in the opposing half. And Diego with the ball at his foot draws defenders. He, you know, swerves away and is able to put passes into dangerous locations. Without him, the team typically doesn't, do much with the midfield to progress the ball forward, especially into scoring position. So that makes me really unoptimistic about where we're headed. Um, you know, it always feels like if the if there's a midfield three of Connor Ronan and Cole Bassett and Diego Rubio, there's a little bit of sparkle there. And without and if it's if it's Bassett and and Ronan, then you know they've had Tavares there and it hasn't looked great. 
They've had um, uh, uh, Ralph Prizzo be the third, and then it just kind of Prizzo's passing has been pretty bad this year, overwhelmingly, um, especially when you put him as as an eight instead of a six. Um, that's a box to box midfielder instead of as a, a kind of a deep a deep playing midfielder. So, um, and you know, I think one of the other challenges the Rapids have had is trying to have Cole Bassett do a lot of things. He's played a little bit of outside. He's played a little bit of inside. Um, they, the, the back end of the season with Diego Rubio taking the weight off him as the number 10, he's been a little bit, you know, more effective, but when he's expected to be the attacking offensive engine of the team, um, things don't really work. I mean, I'm a fan of an old idea that we used to talk that I used to talk about, um, which is, uh, you know, moving him, moving Connor Ronan up to try and be the the kind of what will be called a, a pressing 10, kind of a defensive minded 10, which is really, really, it's a, it's a fun idea. It doesn't, it's not going to necessarily change the game, but when you're running out of ideas and the season's almost over, you might as well. Um, I think your, your last kind of point uh, of like, let's try some things. Let's, let's make some rotation and see what happens would involve maybe bringing Ollie the Raz back up. But considering that Rapids 2, are in um, important games coming up, and Rapids 1 is not doing anything important. I don't know that that makes a whole lot of sense right now. Uh, Mark, I'll put some names on the goals for me, and then I'll ask you for your prediction. Uh, we've mentioned that you know we fear Jesus Ferreira, given the nature of what the Rapids' defense will probably be, Mark. That being said, he is maybe not as impressive as he has been in the past, right. both with the national team and with FC Dallas. 12 goals, 5 assists, but let me just pull up the match log here he has not scored a goal so he got a brace back on september 20th against rsl and then before that he had not scored since july um and that was uh in league's cup so then you have to go back to scored a game scored a goal in gold cup in july um had a couple hat tricks obviously in the group stage but then you're looking at you're going back to june mark so you know you're talking two goals uh both in the same game since mid-June in MLS play, even with the time that he's been with the national team and the break for League Cup isn't super impressive, but 12 goals, 5 assists, that's better than any Rapids player has this year. Off the top of my head, Mark, who is the goal leader? Is it Bassett now? It's got to be Bassett now. Uh, so uh, give me Jesus Ferrer breaking his duck, and then I'll say um, Cole Bassett creates it. And then you said a really good thing, Mark, about the Rapids attack. I think... Uh, I would say this both about Cole in 2021, even when he wasn't scoring, and then even when he was post-Bassett or pole-Bassett rather than Mm -hmm. goal-Bassett. I would say as a midfielder, he was a force multiplier, and he looked good, and he made the other players around him look good from a build-up play, pressing, let's control the midfield standpoint. He didn't necessarily, he wasn't a force multiplier. He didn't make things significantly easier on the other guys around him. Diego Rubio could create shots for himself. He could create easy and good looks for Jossie Zardes, even when Zardes wasn't in form last year. He could do the same thing for Jonathan Lewis. He could do it at times for Don Baji when they overlooked overlapped as members of the Rapids. I don't know that we can say, Mark, that in even with Cole Bassett's recent improvement in form, is he making life significantly easier for Calvin Harris? Is he making a Luis Diaz, a Rafael Navajo, a, um, a Diego Rubio, is he making them look? 
good? Is he helping to showcase them because he's so good that he makes the other players around him a force multiplier to use a buzzword from Matt Doyle at extra, on extra time and in his MLS columns? I, I don't know that Bassett does that in the final third. He definitely doesn't do it in the box in terms of goal scoring opportunities. Does it for himself, doesn't do it for others. He does it well in the midfield, however. Uh, all this is a long-winded way to say, Mark, I already had it as a 1-1 draw. Give me Jesus Ferrer and Cole Bassett. Mark, you want to put a, a score line and a goal score on it? Yeah, I think it'll be 3-1, which is a revision of what I said before. I will take the blame, folks. I said a week ago that uh, the Rapids were going to get four points out of this week. Uh, I'm revising that down to zero points because I love, love getting a mulligan on things. Um, yeah, I think the Rapids lose this one 3-1. I feel like Calvin Harris is going to get a goal. That would move Harris to two goals tied with Kevin Cabral on goals. Um, yeah, so um, in my in my in my gut, I really want, or in my in my heart, I really wanted to say um, Keegan Rosenberry because Rosenberry doesn't have that you know banger screamer goal from outside the box that he tends to have like one or two of a season yet. But I don't feel like um, if he's done it by this point in the season that it's going to happen at all. So, um, but yeah, I had to look at I had to look at the numbers to be like. Uh, did Ke- did Cabral score at all this year? And the answer was, yeah, he did. He scored a couple of goals. They were, I think, mostly meaningless, but but that's it. That's what I got, Matt. All right. Um. So, Mark, uh, what? Twenty four hours at time of recording. So last night, listeners at Dick Sporting Goods Park, the Colorado Rapids two defeated San Jose Earthquakes two in the. Western Conference semifinals of the MLS Next Pro playoffs. Uh, Mark, there was a second-minute dog so to a San Jose outside back in the first two minutes of the game, and then the Rapids were really kind of patient in their approach and everything. Uh, Eric Boucher, Rapids 2 manager, mentioned the art of war in terms of the how do they go about probing the opponent, who clearly was going to play in a different way without exposing themselves to opportunities in transition, which is something that San Jose is very capable of doing well and something that San Jose has taken advantage of in the Rapids in the past and they waited for their opportunity and it got stretched in the final 20 minutes and then finally the Rapids had an opportunity with space for their players where where they could operate and it wasn't just trying to break down a low block uh, which was something they struggled with at times or they were maybe a little bit too patient with for some mark and Fittingly, Sebastian Anderson steps up intelligently, seeing a moment, seeing an opportunity, making a good play, wins the ball, gets it to Yosuke Hanya, perfect pirouette turn to create space and bypass the defender immediately next to him, dribbles into space, and it's Darren Yappi of all players who's running into open space. Yosuke hits the perfect ball so that he's onside, first time emphatic finish despite Mark. Darren Yappi saying that this year absolutely wrecked all of his confidence. He had none of it left to hit that ball with 100% conviction of I'm finally going to score a big goal in a big game that is going to mean something for this club. He scores, Rapids get out of dodge, survive in advance, 1-0, and they will be hosting Austin FC2. It will be Rapidos versus Verde Dos uh, this coming Sunday at Dick's Sporting Goods Park at 7.30 p.m. And Mark, I can already say Crown Legacy was eliminated in this same round this past weekend as well. So the only other, uh, so the top seed in the Eastern Conference is out for a potential final. Uh, Mark, did you watch this game? Uh, What do you make of the playoff debut for Rapids 2? I didn't see it, but I'm excited about the Rapids 2 and being able to watch the next round of the game. I I think uh, this team is... 
the future, uh, I really do. And even if it's not the future, even if most of these guys don't wind up uh, on the senior team for whatever reason, I do think this is our bright spot in a dark season. It's something to celebrate. Um, and, you know, they're the Rapids and there's something to cheer for, which is really great. You know, until we get an NWSL women's team, we, the Colorado Rapids get an NWSL women's team um, to cheer for. Um, or some other team pops up in Colorado that is uh, affiliated with the women's league, the top level women's leagues, one of the two, um, because there's also the USL uh, Super League, which uh, is is coming in. Um, this is what we have to cheer for, and so that that's a that's a, a really you know great thing coming up that uh, we should keep our eyes on. So and and there's some really you know there's some fun players. Darren Yappy is playing at a level that he's like a, a like uh able to compete at um Ali the Raw is a lot of fun Sebastian um Anderson is is doing a solid job and Andrew Adam Baudry is uh, uh Baudry is uh doing great work at goalkeeper so there are a lot of and of course as you mentioned and we talked about last podcast Remy Cabral doing everything at Rapids 2 that Kevin Cabral is not doing at Rapids 1 so we, we 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 paid for two Cabrals and we're probably um, you know not getting to as uh, senior team watchers not getting to watch the better of the two overwhelmingly. So Matt is also I will note sporting a shirt that he purloined from um, the Rapids two match that he went to. It says uh, "Path to Glory," which uh, and the 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 two is the number two. See. As a clever little little move there, so cool stuff. Um, you know the twos are a lot of fun to watch. Yosuke Hanya is is uh, also one guy that you can always root for um, because we're just really happy that this guy came out of nowhere and uh, isn't an academy player, but is is really tearing it up for this team. And of course, lastly, it'd be really nice to see Dylan Cerna hoist a cup, even if it's only as a you know kind of the the old man uh, the 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 grizzled veteran in the locker room telling the the kids old timer old timey stories about back when he was a youngster, um, you know that would still be fun for him. So there's a lot of good, a lot of good with the twos. Yeah, no, absolutely, Mark. Uh, Dylan Stern is very much a, a Drew Moore, Stephen Batisher role, both in terms of his leadership and experience on Rapids Two, and then also, unfortunately, uh, the amount of time and uh, in terms of playing time and the number of appearances and his frequency of those appearances with the team as well. But Mark, there, there's so many little moments that I kind of want to highlight from this that I think you know we've talked about Rapids Two and kind of introduced uh, listeners who maybe don't pay attention to them as much, uh, being familiar with them outside of the first team players. So I just want to comment on a few of them, Mark. Uh, Colin Moore, who is a nine-year-old who recently had open heart surgery. He lives in the same neighborhood of Denver as Ali Laraz. And uh, there's a nice picture up on the Rapids 2 um, Twitter page of the pregame photo where they do the lineup photo with the best of 11 and Colin's in there sitting, standing next to Ollie. And he's come out to a couple of games. Uh, Mark, uh, uh, Ollie tells me that Colin talks to Ollie and says some interesting things as a nine-year-old, including as a fellow, all three of us are gingers here. Listeners, Colin's a ginger, Ollie's a ginger, I'm a ginger, obviously. Uh, and he says that he thinks that uh, sunlight is important because it's where gingers get their power and like it charges their red hair. And if he were to say that to my face, I couldn't say no, Mark, that that's not scientifically accurate. So he was at the game, obviously. He's been to a couple games, and uh, his open-heart surgery went well. I don't know the extent from a medical standpoint is uh, beyond that, but um, he's 
become a little um, rallying cry, rallying support person for um, the club, certainly. Um, Mike Edwards, Mark, if you see from the highlights of the goal, um, Darren Yappi scores, and then uh, Marlon Vargas is the first one to kind of join, and then it kind of turns into a dog pile right up against the advertising boards, and the two center backs, uh, Blake Malone, who's been fantastic for me, Rabbi, and has really been unsung, given I think a lot of Rapids fans just look at the lineups and see, oh, Keita's starting, oh, Mike Edwards is starting, they're good, Blake Malone's at the bottom of that. Blake Malone's been an absolute warrior and a fantastic, he's got some lols to Karnan. But so the two center backs arrive late, Mark, and then Mike Edwards proceeds to slap his hand up against the end boards a few times and then look at it and then realize that his hand's bleeding and in pain and then proceeds to do it a few more times as well. Uh, Darren Yappi said that he absolutely didn't care and that he'd be fine even if his hand is totally broken and Blake Malone compared him to a UFC fighter. So this is the this is the level of memedom and joy and just badassery mark that I think Rapids 2 has been for much of the season. Uh, Abrod's family, Abrod was in this game. Uh, he started, played all 90 minutes. Listeners, uh, there's some interesting logistical problems that Rapids 2 had to deal with this mark because even though this past October 3rd, Rabbi, was the six-week mark for William Yarbrough for his knee surgery and that timeline was given as six to eight weeks and with him being unavailable the only other first team goalkeeper you have besides Marco Ilicha is Abraham Rodriguez so Abe Rodriguez was with the team in Texas Mark and he was on the bench for the Houston game came back on the charter flight and then started in this game Adam Beaudry was with the team Mark uh, with the national team played on Saturday and then got home on a commercial flight uh, Sunday morning I've been told as well so there were some logistical complexities associated with that. I don't know what is happening in terms of this Saturday. I have to imagine if Adam Beaudry is not traveling, maybe he gets the start. Both have been decent with R2. And then Flores, I don't have his first name. He's a Rapids Academy um, player, Mark, but he's on an academy contract. You'll see that uh, MLS Next Pro put out uh, photos of the players arriving to the game. Rabbi, I know you are not a big fan of the players getting parking their car in the parking lot, getting out of the car and then walking into the building and then wearing something fashionable for that 10 or 15 seconds for a photographer to then take pictures of and have the club turn it into content. But Steve Flores, uh, who was born in November of 2003, Mark, shows up with some uh, black Nikes, some rather baggy jeans, and that he is rocking the vertical stripe black and blue Colorado Rapids jersey mark, which would have brave pre, uh, which would have debuted in the 2003 season. So Steve Flo- and I confirmed this mark. He thrifted it and he got it for under a hundred dollars. Apparently, he's been upping his thrift drip game, uh, for lack of a better term. I don't know if that's a thing that the kids are saying on TikTok, but so Mark, a uh, this is proof that we're old, Rabbi, because there is a Rapids Academy player who is playing games with the Rapids crest in a competitive Division Three game, and he is showing up in a shirt that we look at with nostalgia that we're fairly confident is physically older than him. Mark, I don't know how many articles of clothing I have that are older than me, that were made before I was born, but it is very possible that Steve Flores showed up to the game on Sunday wearing a shirt that was made in the year of his birth, and he was born in November. And then the the actual full Darren Yappi quote, Mark, was a quote, this year was tough. Uh, It made me lose all my confidence. I had nothing left. Uh, When I wasn't scoring, when I wasn't seeing myself score, it hurt to see myself do it 
today was the best feeling in the world. Mark, there's so many parallels in terms of the this team being a collective, in terms of celebrating each other, supporting each other, that we would put online with the 2010 Rapids team with the 2021 team. There's a Ted Lasso almost energy around this team in terms of how they celebrate each other, the ways in which they're finding to get results. Uh, this goal by Darren Yappi was the sixth winner that they've had all comps this year after the 80th minute. Um, and it's the first playoff advancement. Uh, so not counting competitions that are just cup competitions, but in a playoff environment, it's the first time that a uh, team associated with the club has advanced since 2016 when Gashi scored that um, midfield goal on, I believe, Brian Rowe, and then Tim Howard won it in penalties against the LA Galaxy in the MLS Western Conference playoffs. But th- there's so many fun narratives, listeners, around this Rapids 2 team. They're playing with joy. They're fun to watch. They're exciting to watch. It is fun, attractive Rapids football. And there's so many players, and even though, Mark, there's some questions about the um, uh, playing well in MLS Next Pro transitioning to the first team, for a lot of these players, they are auditioning for an opportunity to be taken seriously and to have a good first impression for the new head coach. I have to believe that uh, the eventual head coach of the Colorado Rapids, Mark, was watching live on Saturday or last night if they didn't have something else to do. And this is the opportunity. And Darren Yappi, Sebastian Anderson, Ali LaRaz, I think will get preseason opportunities with the first team. And if nothing else, listeners, you are watching at least one or two players that are significant that a part that are a part of the club's future. And Mark, I think if I would had said that in 2017, 2018, about like the U20s, the U23s for you know fans to come out on a Sunday afternoon and sit on that hill that you know Marcelo Babo was barking orders at a Sam Vines or at a Cole Bassett, I think in hindsight we'd want to go back and look that and mark listeners you can do that at dick sporting it's park on sunday at 7 30 p.m and tickets are on sale and they're like five bucks so you can do that and you can see the rapids uh play austin fc parking is free Uh, as always Yes, um, and so, um, and I, I should say, last thing that I forgot, Mark, you mentioned the shirt. There was also a really nice um, match day poster that had a comic book theme around it. Uh, and Mark, you and I both like when someone at the club who's not immediately a someone who has to interact with media, either as a technical person who's being asked about what they're doing on the field, or as someone who is a liaison between us and that other party. It's always fun to see people who are normally behind the scenes come and want to talk to us. So I want to highlight. Mark, the uh, Rapids 2 graphic designer, Sa Mu. He is Thai, as in Thailand listeners. So his name, his first name is S-A-W, and then it's Mu, like what a cow says, M-O-O. Mark, he's a graphic designer for Rapids 2, and he is inspired by comic books. He really likes Spider-Man, and he really likes Iron Man, and that's been an inspiration for some of the graphic design stuff that he's done around the club, and that inspired some of what he did, both with the t-shirt that I am wearing right now and the poster that was available to fans on Sunday, and I assume uh, he or someone else at the club maybe will have a similar uh, fun backstory inspiration behind the poster and any other merch that comes uh, with that as well. So it's just a, it's another mark. Rapids 2 has been such a good example in the same way that Chris Little has shown little moments of humanity and gratitude and appreciation and not just seeing interacting uh, with members of the media as a annoying, habitual um, necessity obligation to the job. 
he's taken that as an opportunity to have a real human connection. And there's so many little things that I see, Mark, with what Rapids 2 is doing, not just in their inner in terms of the people around the uh, the MLS Next Pro team interacting with me, but doing it with each other. There's so many narratives listeners. There's so many people. There's so many human beings that are really easy to root for that you want to root for and that you can get behind and find some joy in this 2023 season, regardless of what's going wrong with the first team. And so I'm just, I'm, I'm waxing so poetically and spending so much time on this because there's an incredible opportunity for you to see something like this, getting the opportunity to win a trophy doesn't happen very often. And I think the club very clearly is choosing to prioritize the next pro team, trying to win something and make something of this season. And that being the reward, the achievement for a lot of these players, even though there would be an opportunity mark for me for an Ali Raz to start that final game of the season at home against Real Salt Lake. And listeners, if you're not at least paying attention to this, watching highlights on YouTube, seeing about, you know, creating an appointment, television, TV watching either at home on Apple TV or in person at DSG, given the cost and given the time of the game and everything, you're missing out on an incredible fun story and just one wonderful good thing to come out of what has been such a crap year um, for this community and for this club. And so I, I don't want you to lose that opportunity in the same way that I don't want these young players to use their lose their opportunity to win a trophy and do something special and honor what they have been doing all season and what I believe they can and will achieve in potentially these final two games. Nice. Well said, Matt. Okay. Uh, Rabbi, shall we get out of here? That's all I got for us. Listeners, follow us collectively on Twitter at soccer underscore rabbi, at LWS Matt Pollard, and at Rapids96 Podcast. Rate, review, share, subscribe, wherever you get your podcasts. We're on pretty much all the podcatchers. Google podcast subscribers. Google Podcast is going away. Reach out to us if you have any questions or if you want recommendations on podcatchers. That will be happening sometime in the early part of 2024. Google Podcasts will be pivoting since I think there's a relationship or Google owns YouTube now, Mark, uh, to where they'll be pivoting to YouTube Podcasts. We are working on through Believe.com to get on there, at least in the audio app form of that, not necessarily in a launching a video YouTube uh, um, account on YouTube for holding the high line, but that stuff is in the works. But reach out to us. Our DMs are open on Twitter, um, and you can email us at rapids96podcast at gmail.com. And you can send us your questions using the hashtag AskHTHL or via email. And then for our Substack, where you can uh, support us financially, five bucks a month or 42 bucks for the year, which gets you one of the final two uh, cheers to the six pint glasses while supplies last. That is at our Substack, holdingthehighline.substack.com. Listeners, we will see you next week to put a bow and finally put an end to this 2023 Rapids season. Peace!